We're gone 45 seconds into injury time. It's all over. And the men of Clare of 95 are all Ireland champions. Who would believe it? Defeats in the Munster final of 94 and 93. A success in the Munster final of 95. And then today, the men who came here, and they have done it. There's been a missing person in Clare for 81 long years. Well, today, that person has been found alive and well, and that person's name is Liam McCarthy. Sherlock Dan, the last thing he said to me, the last thing he said to me in the dressing was, we will do it, and there was no ifs or buts. No, we are now opening and coming out the lower gate, of what we used to call the lower gate of our house here, which is directly across the road from Biddy Early's Lake and then across up from the lake about 100 metres you have Biddy Early's house. Now for those who didn't know or never heard of Biddy Early of course she was probably the most famous uh, probably not, we now termed a faith healer or a clairvoyant of her time and because of course she had those powers she was looked on by I suppose with a bit of suspicion by the church and anyone they looked on with suspicion at that time they tend to demonise them but in spite of the opposition of the church at the time, Biddy had literally hundreds of people coming to her here. And I often heard my grandfather, my father, telling me about people coming along this road here. They'd be parked, we are, we are now about 300 yards from Biddy's house, and they'd be parked back as far as here, with horses and cars, waiting to meet Biddy. And she did it, of course, the medium she used was supposed to have been a bottle. And, uh, of course, that gave rise to the famous Biddy, Biddy's bottle, and... Legend tells us that when she died, that bottle was thrown into the lake just across the way there and was never found, despite numerous efforts by different people. Now, uh, all my people, uh, father, uncle, everybody, would have considered it absolutely ridiculous that uh, Biddy Early had put a curse on Claire Hurling for many reasons. First of all, she never did anything like that to anybody. She never did anything but good. And the second thing was, and this is the most uh, conclusive proof of all, she died about 1884 or 1883, which was before the GA was even founded. So how this myth came into being, nobody knows. But of course, they just used an excuse. They just came up with, it with some kind of an excuse to explain away all of the failures of the past. And uh, when Claire finally won in 1995, with all these headlines, the course of Biddy Early is broken. There was never any course. Biddy Early had nothing to do with Claire not winning for 81 years. Um, so when Tony Constantine, Mike Mack and myself took over the Clare team in 1994, people saw it, I suppose, as, uh, as, as a hope that had long last the curse of Biddy Early, which had lasted for 81 years, would finally be lifted. But we never looked at it like that at all. We looked at it and this was an opportunity for Clare to win in All-Ireland because we never believed there was any kind of a curse. But ironically, when Clare did win the Munster final in 1995, I remember Michal Maherty saying to me afterwards, the curse of Biddy Early has finally been lifted. And I kind of jokingly remarked to him, I said, maybe she was just waiting for someone from her own place to come along and lift that curse. So if ever there was a curse, that was the day it was lifted. The shout will be heard from Mallon to Wexford, from Corral to Hilton Belfast, if Clare win. Of course, another byproduct of the Clare's march to glory in 95 was the revival of another huge Clare tradition, the Clare Shout. Now, we had never heard very much about the Clare Shout. 
So we needed to go, we know we went back to the time of De Valera. I think he had a special spot for Claire. Well, of course, naturally one can expect that since that he chose Claire the first, on the first occasion. Uh, why he chose Claire, I suppose, he followed on, on uh, O'Connor's uh, steps. Uh, uh, when he was president, when we were parting at the two-mile uh, bridge, that's the border between Clare and Limerick. Uh, he asked me to know if I'd ever heard about the Clare shout. Whether somebody had told him about it or not, I don't know, but yes, I said I did. And he said, would you ever do the Clare shout for me? I said, I'll make an attempt. So I did give him the Clare shout. It had two echoes. This is the significance of it, it seems. I didn't uh, see anything into it, of course, until then. And uh, naturally it became interesting to me and I found that the two acres had, had a significance but he was very interested in this uh, that's where we where I let him have the two in this shower a free to the Clermen the last team that won in 1914 Tom McGrath fouling with the Nadley and John Chalou were on it. The Dodger Considine and Bill Considine. Michael Maloney, Robert Doherty, John Fox, James Clancy, John Gairn and Shams Fallacy. Are the men of 95 going to rewrite the record? It's a 21 and Jamesy will take it. And we've gone 30 seconds into injury time. Jamesy O'Connor over at 21. He will certainly go for the point. He has driven it high and mighty over the bar and almost into the canal behind the canal goal. It was typical Tuesday um, or Thursday nights. We'd, um, we'd initially meet in either the beers or in, uh, in with tones um, we tug out there um, Mike would do some upper body exercises with us um, sit ups press ups that kind of stuff um, and then we'd all don the woolly hats and the, the layers and um, get into the cars and, and drive the short distance to, to the hill here in Tully Glass um, you know we'd park here in the, the car park in front of St. Tola School um, where the two Lohans would have, uh, would have attended primary school and their, uh, their house is actually just up um, just up on the hill there so uh Generally, you know, you'd, you'd approach this session with a sense of absolute dread. Um, you know, nobody ever looked forward to, to the sessions here. And, um, you know, you could even sense the, you know, the, the listlessness of, and I suppose the, the sense of anticipation of, of what, was, what was in front of you. And, uh, you know, you'd literally troop from the cars and practically be crying. And, you know, everybody else felt exactly the same way. We, we absolutely dreaded this place. Um, and as I said, it wasn't it wasn't particularly enjoyable, uh, you know, know what, know what was awaiting you. So you get out of the car, stick on the boots if you hadn't put them on in with tones, and um, then cross the road here to the the hill itself. And uh, you know, Mike Mack then would absolutely break your heart by saying, "Right, lads, we've forty to do," or something like that. And you know, you'd sink even deeper into your deeper into your boots. And I probably would have won the guys that you know would have been in reasonably good shape, and you know, physically would have been maybe. You know, better equipped maybe to to run this uh, to run this hill than um, Sparrow or you know Liam Doyle or some of the other fellas that absolutely dreaded physical training. But uh, as I said, you knew it was going to be tough, and Mike psychologically I think was trying to break you before the session even started by uh, by telling you how many you had to do. So the runs themselves, I mean, we're we're just coming up the hill now. It was um, there's a bush here, maybe you know 20, 30 yards from the from the road. 
and uh, Mike could tell you into groups of five, whatever it was, and we might have ten to do from uh, from here, from this position, um, up to the top of the hill. And as I said, seeing it in daylight, you know, it looks it looks totally different to, to what it looks at at seven or eight o'clock on a on a wet, windy um, Tuesday night. And uh, you know, Mike would Mike would generally be at the top of the hill, with the whistle. Jerry will be, um, will be here kind of starting you off in the groups and, and Tony then will be usually somewhere halfway up along kind of roaring you on you know so you kind of reach the top and gas for oxygen and again there seems to be um, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know what altitude trend is like but certainly at the top of that hill the air always seemed to be that bit thinner uh, you know and you literally then troop down knowing that you only had another nine of these to do and then another 30 something to do after that and as I said, um, you know, it was it was probably as much a mental thing as a as a physical thing. There's a on our right here as we're kind of heading up the hill again. We're about a third of the way up, I suppose. Um, there's a series of trees where you know um, <laughs> fellas might uh, fellas be known to disappear into <laughs> maybe uh, halfway through the session if um, if the the training was taking its toll and, and at the end you know you do your you do maybe the last four or five runs and you know there'd be water here or whatever isostar or the isotonics drinks um, and you know you'd hardly be able to drink this stuff and sometimes you know you'd nearly sit here for five minutes before walking out to the car and you'd be literally on some occasions you'd be literally incapable of, of starting the car and, uh, and driving home your head would just be spinning your stomach your legs your mind everything gone but as I said, look at it, it was it was it was tough, very very tough at the time. Um, certainly not enjoyable, but you know mentally it was um, it was something that was very very important to us. Um, particularly coming into the last 10-15 minutes of big matches when a lot of those games were won. I suppose we're standing here at the top of the hill now, um, you know, looking down on, on all the houses, and um, you can see the estuary uh, the estuary behind. Um, Shawnee McMahon currently was a you know good friend of mine, a club of mine is, is currently living in near Spencer Hill. Um, and I suppose the song itself, Spencer Hill, has, you know, is, is along with <laughs> my lovely Rose Claire is probably one of the great Claire songs. Last night as I lay dreaming of the pleasant days gone by, my mind been bent on rambling and to errands I did fly. I stepped on board a vision, I sailed out with a will. And I quickly came to anchor at my home in Spansel Hill. You know, we, we, we said about taking the league seriously that year. And, um, you know, we, we, we had a great run in the league. We won our first, um, I think, five or six league games. And uh, we qualified at that stage for the, the league semi-final. And went for a weekend down to, down to Killarney. Um, kind of a bonding weekend. Um, and I think, in a way, that might have been the making of us. Uh, you know, we we had a really really great weekend, a um, couple of great nights in Killarney, no better spot. And I remember, you know, rooming with Brian Lohan, and I remember just again at three o'clock in the morning or four o'clock in the morning, whatever it was, we were just lying awake talking. And um, and I remember saying to him that, you know, did you ever think we could be like maybe Jim McInerney or Silver Lines and, and play for Clare for ten years and, and, and never win anything? And um, and I remember his response was that, you know, Jesus, like we'll we'll win something. And I remember just. Know, roll, rolling over and thinking to myself yeah he's right he's dead right I myself first played mine with Claire about 1970 and 
I finished with the seniors in 1987. So that was 17, 17 years or 18 seasons even of inter-county hurling. And in that time, I played with many good teams, you know, especially in the mid-70s when we had a marvellous team that should have won a lot more than winning two league finals. But the big problem I saw, at looking look, at being there at the time and looking back at it afterwards was the huge drop in performance that came when the challenge was greatest in big finals, especially in Munster finals. You could see players in the dressing beforehand visibly shrivel. These were great players who gave fantastic performances in other games. But when it came to the big game, everything fell apart. Players fell apart individually and collectively the whole team fell apart when the real challenge came on. And what I learned from that, I suppose, was that the biggest challenge facing me taking over as manager and Mike Mack and Tony Constantine with me was to change the mindset, to change that mentality when the big day came. And you don't prepare a team overnight. You do it over a long period of time, over a period of four or five months, where you're constantly reinforcing that, that everything is going to be different this year. Things are not going to be the same as they were last year. You do this during the physical training, during the hurling training. But curiously enough for Claire, I suppose the real defining moment came when players first saw that things might be different this year. Whatever about the talk about being different was when we took the players away in Easter, at Easter time in 1995, down to um, Killarney for a weekend away. And after training that day, we gathered in a, in a pub in Killarney and at a late hour at night, shall we say, around 12 o'clock, a sing-song started. Now, the Clare players had never heard me sing because I can't sing. So I was saying, no, no, no. And then it went on to about one o'clock and when, as more and more we drank, the more anxious everybody became to sing. So they all thought I would sing a song that I used to sing under fierce pressure and under much strength, uh, the German clock winder. And they were all waiting for that. So I said, no. I'll sing you a song now, I said, and I want you to listen to every word. So I sang the song, Waltzing Matilda. Now, the very fact that I was singing it all got the attention of everybody. But there were two parts of it that I really emphasised. The part of it, first of all, you know, where the band played Waltzing Matilda as the ship pulled away from the quay. And amid all the tears, flag waving and cheers, we sailed off for Gallipoli. Just like Claire sailing into Munster finals before with so much hope and so much expectation and all hoping to come back victorious. And after that, I kind of stopped and then I kept going on to the next part. But the real part came was uh, towards the very end of the song. Now, by this time, I was singing in such a way that everybody was really paying attention. And the last part of the song was... And when the ship pulled into circular key, I looked at the place where my legs used to be. And thank Christ there was no one there waiting for me to grieve or to mourn or to pity. And the crucial line after that was, <clears throat> and the band played waltzing Matilda as they carried us down the gangway. Nobody cheered. They stood there and stared. And they turned all their faces away. I said, that's what has happened to you for the last two years. But I'll tell you, this year and from now on, it'll never happen again. There was absolutely 
stunned silence. And I stopped right there. There was complete, you could see almost an electric shock going through everybody. It was one of those things that wasn't planned. There was a once off. And I'd, th- I'd say in the players that were there in 30 years time, they'll still refer back to what happened that night. And it happened by pure chance. But it drove into everybody's mind that, cripes, maybe this year things are going to be different. Anthony Daly walks away. Is he muttering a quiet prayer right now? Wipes the arm and then circles around while an offering prayer is being attended to. 1914 was the last time that Clare won the All-Ireland. 1914 when Amby Power was the captain. Anthony Daly is the captain today. Dohi Reagan comes over. He's sportingly speaking to Anthony Daly. Is he wishing him luck? We're in the closing stages of the 1995 All-Ireland final. 33 and a half gone. Gerlach Dan passes by. The man must be praying. He comes from pretty early country. Anthony Daly strikes it. Is it sweet? Is it sweet? It's over the bar. And Claire are leading in the All-Ireland final with a minute and a half left. But Offaly have not finished yet. For myself personally, I suppose it was um, winning the Munster final and um, the satisfaction out of that. And then as a... The boys often talk about it, like how unprepared the Clare people were for winning it. You know, we got back as far as Clarecastle that night and there was no podium ready. They hadn't time because they didn't expect us to win it. They threw me up on top of the bus stop. And I'll never forget that. Like this. And uh, I remember what all I said was um, we'd had a good bit of crack coming home on the bus because it was a great celebration. And my mother would be an avid bingo goer on a Sunday night in Innes. And uh, I remember saying it must be a special night when my mother wasn't going to bingo in Innes. And <laughs> that's something that has always stuck in my head that night, you know, coming back there and uh, being thrown up in the bus stop. That was because that's all they had ready. And they didn't expect, you know, because you know, an awful lot didn't travel. They were just so disillusioned with all the defeats. And um, but as we often said, the hardcore travelled, you know. The diehards travelled and, and they're probably, in some ways, the, the 10,000 that we looked to as the real fans, you know. Even to this day, I think... We're probably back to that 10,000 again and they're the same 10,000 went up to Zeus playing Kilkenny last year in Cope Park. You know, and he'll, always, he'll always gather up uh, you know, the extras when you're going well but there's a real diehard support in Clare and you know, for those people that went that day they'll never forget that day I think. You know, and that was the day of days because as I said to you we hadn't lost all Ireland's we had lost Munsters. Is this a score for the Offaly men? Is it a Colleen held by David Fitzgerald on the goal line and sent back out? Beyond the 70-yard line, that's halved into the hand of Baker to McMahon, and McMahon goes forward. Personally, I suppose the, the memory that would stand out was um, when we won the Munster final. Uh, like as I said, I didn't, I never dreamt when I was younger of All Ireland. It was just winning the Munster final, and I just remember when the final whistle went, I just went down on my knees. I just fell to my knees, and I just, I, I, know, I just said thank you God, like because it was just such relief, like it was. A day that we had dreamed, that was the day that we had, well, that I had certainly dreamed of, was to win a Munster final. I, I don't think people maybe again realise what it meant to what it meant to people, particularly the real, um, you know, genuine Clare supporters. When you look back now and see the pictures, I mean, the, just the euphoria, people I think were in disbelief that, you know, they'd waited so long, 63 years, um, for this to happen. Some people, I think, you know, couldn't actually believe it was happening. And I even remember towards the end of the game thinking, Jesus, as people kind of, you know, started to climb into the pitch, 
get off the pitch or he'll abandon it or, or some other catastrophe will befall us and, and you know this thing won't get finished um, but it was just I mean a sense of elation like it was like a massive I think weight had been lifted off the shoulders of of the county and you know Anthony's speech and, and you know just addressing him and meeting your family after the game it was you know it was a fantastic day and we went back I think to the Anor Hotel um, after the game and you know there weren't actually that many people around there it was it, it was kind of pretty much the team and some close family members and you know I think we, we watched the Sunday game and eventually kind of boarded the bus and um, and headed back into the county and we had no idea as to you know what was awaiting us I mean once we once we crossed the border um you know, people were out in droves, and 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 you know, it took us, it took us ages, I think, to, to finally um, to finally get home to um, get back to Ennis, and again there was a, a massive reception I think, at, the, at the West County for us. So, you know, people were just, um, I said, people were just maybe, absolutely elated. It ju- it just meant so much to them. People, as I said, had travelled, you know, to countless Munster finals, um, and always come home with their tails between their legs, be it at minor, twenty-one, and obviously senior level. So, you know, the week subsequent to the game, the plan was to take the take the cup around the county. And, you know, I can remember there's a, there's a fellow called Don Ryan, who's a fantastic supporter, just lives um, in a place called Summerhill, which is just around the corner of my, my parents' shop in Ennis. And uh, I think I'd, I think for some reason I had the cup in one of those days um, after the Munster final. And I remember taking it up to Don and just knocking on the door. And I just said, um, you might like to get a look at that, you know. And... Uh, he just broke down in tears, um, you know, and I, I left him the cup and said, "I think I'm, I, I look like I'll call back later, you know." And I think he, he arrived down maybe later and apologised, but that's what it meant to the guy, you know. He was one of those guys that you'd be pulling into to Parky Key for a league game, you know, an hour before the game, and he'd be the first guy queuing up at the gate to get in. So, for people like him who'd follow Clare through thick and thin, really, really genuine supporters, Pa Howard, another guy in Tubber who, you know, would have followed. Every clear game that probably was ever played past me that. Um, for those people, it really, really, really meant the world to them. Um, you know, touring around the county, I suppose, you know, it, it took us maybe three or four days to do it. And, you know, obviously, um, you know, in different parishes, if, if there was a player from that parish, you know, that player would would take the cup. And, you know, it was just it was just a fantastic time. And, you know, and I suppose if you're waiting 50 years for something and, it's a great passion in your life when it actually happens. It, it is an emotional occasion and there's certainly no doubt that there was lots of tears shed, like, you know. But for once, there were tears of joy, I suppose. Johnny Dooley gets it away down toward Brother Billy, beaten behind by Brian Frank Lohan, sent out again, sent in again. The Doyle is there again. Doyle sent it out inside the field. A slip there, trying to get at it back there again is Brian Lohan. Look, man, on the training field, he was a brute. He just... He just... Um, he just dictated what everyone had to do and you did it or else you sat outside and, and, and watched other people doing it. So it was it was very simple, like it was just his way or else no way. Um and that was that wasn't questioned. There was no one no one would have uh, even dared to question that. It was just that was a fact. You just had to do it whatever way he, he, he said to do it. But like look now and constantly did things for the benefit of 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 the players that were there um and everything that you did was to try and improve you as a player no he he was he was he was brutal like but but he was he was very honest and he was um he did everything to to try and um improve you as a player and improve the team's performance and ensure that we'd 
we'd win the games. I suppose he he didn't allow you to have have feelings for him or anything like that. It was just the case that um, you just did what you were told and you 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 did everything that um, th- that he asked you to do. It was it was just pure respect for him. Like it was just he like we did we did everything that that that, that he asked us to do and um, you know when we were doing what he said we were winning games so you know you just keep doing what he says and I mean no one will ever forget the night the training was bad and Stephen Mecca complained of a stomach bug like you know and he pulled us all back into the dressing room we were going kind of lethargic in training he came in well he gave a tyranny of a speech and he started with me and it starts with the captain he says and he lambasted me and and eventually he came around to Stephen Mecca who happened to be standing there on his clothes and hadn't trained I don't think he just came in his tracksuit he hit him a kind of a poke into the stomach, not in two, not it was going to hurt him or anything, but he said, sick Mac, sick is coming out of Crow Park beating, he said. And you know, I think that was a turning point in our minds about that, that we weren't going settling for Munster, that we had a chance now to go all the way. So they were looking for a particular type of player, um, you know, a player who wouldn't roll over, obviously, in the, in, in the heat of battle. And, you know, if a guy was going to give up here in the Hill and Shannon or in Crescine, um, well, then he was the same guy would probably you know, give up in Turles or Croke Bark whenever the, whenever the pressure came on. So, like, the training, in a way, was, was psychological in the sense that, you know, they they pushed you. Um, you know, there were certain times when they'd say things to you that, you know, they wanted you to react in a particular way. They were looking for a type of guy who grit his teeth and and bite his lip or whatever, but, you know, at the same time was saying, I'll prove you wrong, you know, you so-and-so, whatever. So, I mean, Gerard, you know, would have would have said things to me in training um, you know I, I would for example I mean I you know when we played matches in training um, Christy Rusty Chaplin um, was one guy who would often be remarked for me you know Rusty was a you know a tough really tough awkward kind of player who you know who kind of wire into you and you know um, I'd have awful battles with Rusty in training um, you know and Rusty might clear two or three balls particularly on a wet evening I remember one particular evening he you know, Rusty, he was cleaning me out. And, um, you know, Ger would, Ger would let this roar, come on, Rusty, you've been cleaned, you know. And, you know, and I'm under my breath saying, you bollocks, you know. Um, but, like, gritting my teeth to try and win the next ball. And, like, that's that's what he was doing to you. I mean, if you went down into your boots and, you know, didn't respond, um, well, then you were no good to him. And, you know, I think that's, as I said, that's that's the psychological part of the game you know that that was he was looking for a particular type of player and in the training all the time he was he was pushing you he was testing you now on the Sunday mornings of big games we used to fly to Dublin we used to meet in a hotel called the Oakwood Arms in Shannon at that time it wasn't as big a hotel as it is now it's a marvellous a huge hotel now and a lovely place so we used to meet there for a cup of coffee and everybody would leave their cars there so the bus would pick us up to drive us to the airport and the bus would drive right around the back of the hotel come out the back and onto the main road and on way to the hotel. So we got into the bus, everybody on, everybody in good form, drove around the back of the hotel to get out, and right there in front of us was the gate. And the gate was locked. So the busman said, we'll have to go back. And I said, we're not going back under any circumstances, even if you were to knock that gate. So I remember Tony Cranston and myself jumped out, examined the gate, lifted it off the hinges we couldn't open the lock lifted it off the hinges at the other side opened the gap in it enough for the bus to go out got back in 
and said to everybody there'd be no going back today and the bus drove on onto the airport one other thing I think as well was that you know we um, I, I remember going down to I, I used to live in Galway and um, I think about maybe 10 days before the final um, you know I was asked maybe ten, two weeks before the final I was asked to go down to a summer camp or something and, and you know just show my face whatever at my old club in Galway down, down in Woodford and um, I think Paddy Kerman from Offaly um, was running the summer camp at the time and, and I just sensed from Paddy you know you know Paddy be a fierce hurling but I just sensed that you know maybe these guys don't actually don't, I don't think they rate us and I don't think they actually take us that seriously and you know maybe Offaly did under, underestimate us but I think it was maybe the, the, the week prior to the game I remember Ger just calling us in and, and giving us a talk and I remember him saying that you know, if we made a ba- if we make a battle of it, no one will beat us. And I remember coming out of that dressing room convinced he's dead right. If we make if we turn this thing into a battle, into a fight, you know, there is nobody, nobody going to beat us. And um you know, I think yeah, we we went up to that that game, um, prepared to win, ready to win and knowing that we could win, you know, if if it became a fight, which which most intercounty um, championship matches are anyway. It's a free to clear behind their own 70-yard line as Frank Lohan races back to pick up Billy Dooley. The striking, will it be done by Sean McMahon or will it be done by the captain of the man that'll do it? Well, he's 60, he's 95 yards out. Could he get a point? 95 yards out, it's going a little to the left, it's blocked out by the goalkeeper, it's put in and it's gone into the back of the net by Eamon Taff. It's a goal for the clear different people there's no doubt about that like we there was an there was an old swagger in our steps and, and definitely you went going into work and stuff you were you were a new man early you know than what you were before the Munster final and I remember like uh, beforehand as we normally did the Sparrow and myself probably went for a swim on the Saturday and, and uh, remember feeling you know talking and I said what do you think and he said I think I'm going to win it you know that he says you know and I remember saying, I, I think the same, like, you know, I thought it was our year at that stage, you know. I had bought into the theory that it was our year, and it, it, I suppose it was a bit of old magic in the air in Crow Park the same day. It just seemed to me that some things, the way they fell into place, you know, it just seemed that the, the old gods were contriving. Sometimes then you could be as prepared and as focused another day and not to go your way, you know. And I just felt on that day that no matter, awfully to us, got two fortunate goals, but we never dropped our heads. We came out and hurled away, hurled away, hurled away. And eventually, I suppose, it was late, but we eventually we did get the old breaks and the old ball hit the crossbar and come down, turn aim and half and, you know, and then the last two scores from the freeze, like just things just, I suppose it's all about timing. There's about a lot of things in life and you could be getting those breaks. Offaly got the break two minutes before half time, and everyone tells you that's a great time to get a goal, but it's probably a better time to get it with two minutes to go, like, you know, because it's hard to come back from it. We're now coming in the door of my family home. Uh, this is where I grew up, of course, was reared and grew up. And the first thing that you see when you come in the door, standing over here, is my father's fiddle. Because he played this almost every night, especially in wintertime. Now, I don't know if it's still working, because I was never a great fiddler myself, but we'll just have a go. It sure is. Only if I had somebody to work it properly. So. As I said, when I was growing up here, traditional music was central to our lives to the, and to the lives of all our neighbours here. My father and most other men in the families around here were able to play a musical instrument, which they did mostly in wintertime. And of course, outside of Clare, 
um, traditional music was regarded as the central tradition in Clare. But I suppose since 1995, for the younger generation growing up then, my own two sons included, it was hurling rather than traditional music that now really defined the Clare tradition. And I suppose of all the things that happened and all the great things that happened about 1995, that was the greatest legacy of all, that hurling could supersede Irish traditional music as the real thing that defined the Clare identity. We have listened to many, many jibes down through the years. We were told to stick to our traditional music. Well, in Clare, we love our traditional music, but we love our hurling as well. As Anthony Vieira said, we were often, there was jibes thrown at us about sticking to our traditional music, but um, living in Spencer Hill now, which should be well known for its music, it's, it's great now that we can also look back on our our great uh, hurling days as well, as well as talk about our music. Enchanted with the novelty, delighted with the scenes, wherein my early childhood I oftentimes have been. I thought I heard a murmur, I think I hear it still. Tis that little stream of water at the cross of Spansel Hill. I suppose for a lot of us it changed our lives in lots of ways, you know, in terms of what we did and employment and all sorts of ways it affected our lives and changed them nearly all for the good. And uh, I suppose there's, they're just a great store of memories to have, like in the in, back there in the back of your head. And um, the one thing I can, I always say is no one can ever take it away from us, like, you know, that we won two all Ireland's, like you could. You could make a mess of a lot of parts of your life, and you know, but still, no one can ever take that off you. And that's a, a great thing to be able to say. Like, I, I suppose when we were all small boys going to watch the Clare team playing in '78 and in '81 and '86, and we dreamed of, I suppose, winning in the backyard, and we dreamed of winning the All Ireland someday. You know, and you probably thought it was only a dream, but it came true. And it certainly would have helped a lot of lads in other aspects of life. You know that. Uh, and it would have helped all of us, I suppose, in, in ways of even getting interviews and things like that. And, you know, I think the fact that you would have achieved such a success, you know, people would stand back and say, well, they must be very committed people or, and um, very solid people to be able to do that. So I think there was that kind of a bonus in it that people would have seen the commitment that people can give and would have thought, well, if a guy can be this committed, well, he might have something to offer me and... Then some other lads got involved in pubs and shops and things like that, and uh, it would have, it would have, obviously the fact that we won the All Ireland was a huge benefit to them, and and um, they made great success of that, and it was it was great that they did, and I think in fairness it it helped all of us some more than others I suppose is what you'd be saying, um, but I don't think I don't think there's anyone who would say that it didn't help them in some way. It was a bigger deal for supporters and for Clare people who were travelling home and travelling from abroad um, to watch the games than it was for the actual players. Um, and I'd say, I'd say nearly every one of the players would say that, that it was a much bigger deal for, for anyone who was coming home to, to, to watch it. And they got more out of the su- success than, than, than we did, in a way. Um, because, you know, at, at the end of the day, like, you're a player and... No matter what happens, you always have the next game to play. Like, and you're only as good as that next game. Like, so, 
there was no point in getting too carried away with um, winning something now, especially when you're only, like the majority of us were only, you know, we were 23, 24, 25. And like we have, once the championship games coming up when you're 26 or 27, 28, like, so there was, so I, I suppose there was no real, um, it, it was bigger for supporters than it was for players. But that's not to say that the the players didn't enjoy it and maybe we'll enjoy it more when we stop playing or when you sit down and, and watch the videos or whatever. It's an incredible sight right on the field. They may have been waiting 81 years for a second All-Ireland. They certainly have done it in style. And what celebrations will be all over there, not for a day, not for a week, but weeks and months and maybe which will stretch for a year. Where it struck me most anyway, you know, it was magic going to the schools and all that. We always, we all of us said there's magic in the schools because the awe and the wonder in kids who were probably old enough to understand eight, nine, ten, and then the secondary schools as well. Like, um, but to me, myself was older people. Like, you know, uh, I remember meeting my brother's father-in-law, who he's still alive now, but I suppose considered himself an old man at the time. But um, he he was crying down Torles after he won it, like, because he definitely he'd been to every cleaner match. I'd say it was every championship match over the years and all the defeats and he could remember back to 55 and all that, you know, and he was crying like a baby, like, you know. So as players, we couldn't, we found it hard to take it in, what it meant to other people. But I suppose to me, it was the older people having finally seen the day, you know, you know, and uh, that, was, that, was, that was what it meant, I suppose, most. And we didn't realise it didn't sink in, I suppose, with the players until, uh, you know, in, in a bit of time afterwards when you had a bit of quiet time to think about what it was and, you had to look at videos and stuff like that and see people's reaction. At the time, it was very hard to... You're so wound up in the, ma the match and you're so wrecked after the match as well. Like, and it drains you so bad. So it takes a while, but I think to me, anyway, it was, it was some of the older folk, you know, and what it meant to them, like, you know. Yeah, I, I'd say it was, it was a huge thing for the county. There's absolutely no doubt about it. And I think everyone, players, management, supporters, everyone really enjoyed it and got great sense of satisfaction and joy out of it. And... Uh, you know, it's, I, I think the phrase that people often said was how it um, just brought us a huge uplifting in people and that uh, there was a buzz in people from it. And, you know, it was great to see that and I think it did do that. I suppose one of the great memories would be, you know, when I suppose Tony Constantine took the microphone and, and, and sang a verse and a bit of my lovely Rosa Clare and just to hear all the the gather thousands down below us joining in and, you know, it was... Uh, we were all in the hog and looking down at them, and that was a was a special moment in the whole thing as well. Um, there was lots of them, but that was certainly one of them. Like to sing it to men and to a child, I think, and it was a, it was great. Oh, my lovely rose of Clare, you're the sweetest girl I know. Well, it's ten years on since that magical year of 1995, and of course, many things have changed since. Players have moved on. I, Tony Constantine, Mike Mack, all have gone from it as well. A new year has started in Clare, but every now and again, something happens that brings the memories of that great year flowing back. Memories of the colour, the joy and the excitement that the Clare supporters brought, especially in their away trips to Dublin. The journey up, but especially the journey back after winning. Flags hanging out the windows, 
and uh, visiting all the places on the way down and and as well as that the huge reaction there was to Clare's victory from all, all other counties throughout the whole of Ireland and uh, I suppose what it, said, what, what it shows everybody is that hurling was more than a, it was more than just a game it was a movement of people it was a liberation of people I suppose in Clare and that was the greatest thing of all about it to hear people now saying for people that had passed on I was, I was glad they were there to see Clare winning that All Ireland I mean that's better than having any medal or winning any medal and it, it, it brings back to me the words of William Wordsworth when he said for off when on my couch I lie in vacant or in pensive mood they flash upon that inward eye which is the bliss of solitude and then my heart with pleasure fills and dances with those Croke Park trills. Now I think Wordsworth put in daffodils instead of Croke Park but that's what it meant. You know, when you look back on it and think of some of the great things that happened that had nothing to do with holding whatsoever. You know, people that you saw in their eyes what it meant for Clare to win. That was the great thrill of it. And that is what gives such huge satisfaction and contentment that I think will last a lifetime. And I will always love you, my lovely